Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Well, hello again, friends. This is Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. I'm Don Payne, glad to be your host for this. One of my sons recently pointed out to me that Yellowstone National Park sits on a massive volcano that if it erupts, it could potentially destroy all life on Earth. Geologists are monitoring it. Uh, now, how's that to give you something else to worry about? Uh, apocalyptic scenarios are not new, even in the broader culture, but for some reason they seem to have been especially prevalent in the Christian world throughout history, and, and that's for some good reason, because as Christians we live with the promise that God will bring human history to a resolution, and that something apocalyptic is involved in that resolution of human history. So our hope can be laced with some considerable apprehension. Uh, interestingly, however, for, for lots of Christians, this apprehension, this fear, seems to dominate the hope. And whatever one's particular theology or eschatology about the end times, it's really easy to get preoccupied with fear, with this general uh, sense, this unnerving uh, preoccupation that the world is completely falling apart. Uh, we have lots of anger, increasing anger and indignation and, and tension. So we're really glad to have with us in this episode two of our previous guests on Engage 360, Dr. Marshall Shelley and Dr. Angie Ward. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, as you may remember, uh, Dr. Shelley is the director of our Doctor of Ministry program, and Dr. Ward is the assistant director of that Doctor of Ministry program. Uh, Angie just served as editor of a newly released book entitled, When the Universe Cracks, Living as God's People in Times of Crisis, I think just released by NAV Press, correct? Correct, yeah. Okay. Angie, tell us a little bit about the book overall. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's born out of the pandemic, but not, uh, you know, not restricted to the pandemic. So uh, about a year ago, NavPrest approached me and talked about uh, what if we do a book that's about crisis in general and uh, how the church has responded historically and, and how that informs how the people of Christ should respond today. And so we envisioned it as this conversation as part of a series, the first of a series called Kingdom Conversations. And so in it, there's 10 different contributors, 10 chapters uh, with a flow starting with what is crisis and then looking at what what have we seen in history through Jesus' example, through Bible, you know, biblical theological lens, and then what does that mean for us individually and as a collective body of Christ? That's, um, I appreciate that overview, and as we begin to kind of focus on some parts of what it's presented to us in this book, there's uh, one comment uh, particularly that's captivating from chapter 5, where Sean Gladding draws us to Jeremiah 29, uh, where God tells his people that they will be in exile for a long time mm -hmm. uh, and that an immediate rescue is not forthcoming and that they should settle down and make a life mm -hmm. in Babylon. Uh, and, and God charges them to, and here I'll quote, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare lies your welfare. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of implications do you think, in general, that that text has 
for some of the times that we're inhabiting right now with all of the uh, all of the fears and the apocalyptic scenarios and the, the preoccupations that even Christians can have because of that. Yeah, I think that, you know, when we're in a, a crack in the universe moment, we are we don't know what's happening, so we feel the earth shake, and, and our tendency is to kind of, you know, protect ourselves, of course, in order to respond in fear. But um, as Sean says in that chapter, you know, from, from the example of uh, the Israelites in exile, um, that doesn't, we shouldn't cower in fear. There's, you know, Sean talks about how they said we wept when we remembered, you know, Jerusalem and our homeland, but at the same time, so there's a lament there, but at the same time, there's a seeking of a flourishing in the context that they're in. Mm-hmm. Marshall, you contributed chapter four to the book. Uh, it's called A Brief History of Crisis. And I, I was fascinated by the overview you did. Tell us uh, a bit about how the times we inhabit are really a lot like other times in history. Well, I think there's, uh, we often forget how often crisis comes uh, throughout history, and particularly for Christians. Uh, my dad wrote a history of uh, the church, uh, a book called Church History in Plain Language, and uh, I was haunted by the first line of that book. You know, when I first read it, I thought, wow, Dad, you, uh, you nailed it with your first, one of those first lines, those memorable first lines. He said, Christianity is the only religion which has as its central event the humiliation of its God. Uh. God comes to earth and is humiliated, shamed, uh, flogged, killed, and uh, that is the, that's the opening act of Christianity on planet Earth. And I thought that starts with a crisis. Uh, you know, when, when Jesus Christ was crucified, that's about as big a crisis as there is. And that was, uh, it was, uh, I'm sure, uh, disillusioning and confusing to the disciples who well, yeah, I mean, they witnessed s- it. They, they certainly thought their world as they knew it had come to an end. Everything they had built their lives around since beginning to follow the Messiah. Right. And so, game off. So, uh, Christianity requires, uh, and those of us who are evangelicals who believe in a conversion, have uh, have often uh, con- considered that a you crisis, a good crisis, when one must come to a point of recognition that all is not well in my world. I am, I am on a road that is heading toward destruction, and I need to repent. I need to turn my life over to someone else behind the steering wheel to uh, take me in another direction, and that's called conversion. That's, that's the new birth, that's, that's regeneration. So that's, th- that kind of crisis is at the very heart of, uh, of who we are as God's people. What have been some of the, the, the crises throughout history that, mm-hmm. that have really captured your attention and that you, you think form a, the, the pattern that we need to pay attention well, let's, to? Yeah, let's just think about that early, you know, after Jesus, uh, after Jesus' crucifixion, obviously his resurrection came and then his, uh, his ascension, which I'm sure was another bit of a crisis, and the disciples were sitting there in the upper room waiting for what's next, which was the coming of the Holy Spirit. That, uh, that happened at Pentecost, some, you know, a little over a month and a half later. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about it quite this way before, but, you know, there's this crisis. He, he dies, but then he's back. But then he leaves again. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's here. He's gone. He's here. He's gone. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure there was some uns- unsettledness uh, in them, uh, uh, you know, on this. But then, uh, very, very quickly after the, uh, you know, after that, uh, various forms of persecution begin. You know, 
the uh, the martyrdom of Stephen just being one of them, but uh, in the you know 300 years after after Christ's life, there were lots of um, lots of epochs or eras of, of persecution, some very severe. Uh, so that there was that crisis that the the church had to had to follow. There was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, you know, which was a crisis for everybody who lived in uh, Greater Israel uh, when the Romans came and destroyed that. Uh, the center of their worship, uh, their worship life, was suddenly gone, and uh, that was a life uh, life changing, a uh, a tradition changing event. And obviously, that helped lead to the uh, dispersion of Christians, you know, around the world. But that was a crisis. Um, you look after uh, after Constantine becomes a Christian, there is a crisis of identity. We Christians, who were a marginalized people, are now suddenly um, the privileged. Yeah, we're the mainstream now. Yeah, we we are. What do you do with that? You go from uh, your faith being a being something that you're persecuted for to your faith being a uh, uh, an asset to your career. Uh, if you share the faith with the emperor, that's that's uh, there's some social benefit to that. And uh, and how do you as Christians then uh, handle people who are dissidents within your own movement? Uh, how do you exercise uh, faithfully and well the newfound power that you have? And some Christians handled the newfound power well, and others abused power uh, fairly fairly quickly and uh, persecuting those who were not as uh, not as orthodox as you know they would have uh, would have wished so you know crisis has been uh, has been fairly frequent there that we're not even getting to the you know the fall of Rome or the the plagues uh, later in history uh, or various other crises but, yeah, yeah. I, I want to come back and talk about those plagues because mm-hmm. there's a Maybe an eerie similarity between that and mm-hmm. the, you know what we've been going through internationally in the last couple of mm-hmm. years, but it struck me as you were talking, Marshall, that you're you're defining crisis in a particular way because you even talked about our conversion as a crisis at this turning, and um, the dis- the dispersion of. Christians, early Christians, into the broader parts mm-hmm. of Asia Minor as mm-hmm. as a crisis, which many good things came out mm-hmm. of that. But you seem to be working with a, a broader definition of crisis than simply things that go really bad. Is that fair? Yeah, yes, yes. I would say a crisis, at least what I was talking about in this chapter, I realize there's another chapter that goes into greater detail in defining uh, crises in the book that uh, Angie's edited. But for this uh, for this chapter, I was uh, defining crisis as a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger that requires a response. It requires some form of um, what are we going to do about this? And um, you know what's the old saying? Um, you know, a leader is someone who keeps his poise when people all around are, all around him are losing theirs. You know, a okay. crisis is a time when people tend to lose their cool, lose their uh, lose their bearings, uh, think that. Now is a time to set aside uh, all of normal life, and we have to act abnormally. And uh, uh-huh. that's, uh, I think that's, that's what I was assuming as a crisis. It's, it's intense pressure. It is a time when we, we think things can go badly wrong, um, and we have to respond somehow to the circumstances that are creating this crisis. Yeah, and, and intense decisions are on the table one, one way or the other. Right. Right? And so it's a... It's a Kind of a, a poignant, a loaded mm-hmm. time 
for us mm-hmm. when right. a lot a lot's at stake mm-hmm. and and things can go in a variety mm-hmm. of directions i suppose right let's circle back to the plague because i know you okay. you mentioned that in your historical timeline and what went on then that might be instructive for us in some fashion even now yeah let me take you back to um to the 1300s um in 13 uh, 1347 uh, according to one account that i was um, reading in all likelihood a flea was riding on the hide of a black rat on a ship that entered the italian port of messina and uh, on that sh- on that that ship which had come from you know the, the basically the black sea um where the uh, the Mongol hordes had uh, had been not not too long before, so there's some there there's even some uh, speculation that this uh, this bacteria that was on the flea came from um, from Asia from the the Mongol hordes that had been uh, moving uh, moving westward, and uh, with that rat the flea and the bacillus came the most feared plague on record, and uh, you know between 1347 and 1353, just a six-year period, the Black Death killed a third of the population of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we think you know the COVID virus has uh, has a death toll, and it does, but the Black Death was uh, you know so much more severe at that time. So approximately 20 million people died as a result of that, and it was a gruesome uh, a gruesome plague. Black swellings the size of eggs in your armpit and your groin. Mm-hmm swellings that oozed blood and pus spreading boils and black splotches on the skin so Mm. it was a grotesque kind of thing and people would die five days from the first symptoms so it was very very quick family show i feel like (laughs) (laughs) like not anymore yeah well um yeah it's it is it is gruesome it was a horrible thing and and it was fear inducing and uh, some Christians responded well to these horrible uh, crisis conditions, and other Christians responded very poorly. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that because I remember that part of your chapter where it was really a mixed bag in terms of how the church responded, how, how clergy mm-hmm. responded. And I think you mentioned a pretty chilling stat about the number or the percentages of, of priests and, or maybe other right, clergy who, right. who died of the plague. Well, on the on the downside, one uh, one reporter at that time said that magistrates and notaries refused to come and make the wills of those who were dying dying because they were contagious. So they they were refused services of even uh, writing their will. Uh, even priests at times did not come to hear confessions. In one account, uh, the author said, "Brother was forsaken by brother, oftentimes husbands by wives." Nay, what is more, and scarcely to be believed, fathers and mothers were found to abandon their own children to their fate when the children became infected, unvisited as if they had been strangers. You know, just mm. a uh, time of such fear and panic that um, you know people were uh, abandoning one another to their fate. But at the same time, uh, on the on the flip side, many faithful priests and nuns and friars bravely ministered to the sick. And dying during that time, um, you know, the unfortunate fact is that attrition among the good and the brave and the faithful was was greater than it was in the general population because they were putting themselves in harm's way. Uh, truly, faith was being exercised by those who were willing to minister to the infected. Uh, in some ways, you know, much like our 
uh, first responders and hospital staffs uh, today uh, yeah. being, being willing to serve even in even in harm's way. Yeah. So uh, while 30 percent of the general population died, between 45 and 50 percent of priests, nuns, and friars died during that uh, during that same okay. time. Okay. What what are what do you think we need to be taking from incidents like this, timelines like you've put together, or or other observations that? Uh, other authors in the book have made about when the universe cracks or seems to be falling apart. What, what, what do we need to be taking away from this? Well, one is, um, you know, as Marshall has pointed out in his chapter and, and here, this is nothing new. And so, um, you know, we tend to think, I think, especially, you know, in, in Western, um, you know, affluent culture that at some point we'll get beyond this. You know, it's, you know, you think back a hundred years ago, my grandfather had to come home from the University of Wisconsin from his studies because of the influenza pandemic. Mm. hundred years later, my two college sons had to come home from Indiana University. You know, that, that's something we go, that happened in the past. And so it's just a reminder um, that this type of thing is nothing new. And it's not just the pandemic type stuff, just crisis in the his, life of the church. But, um, you know, that that there are tasks and ministry to be done, just like in the time of the, the you know, the plagues and the Black Death. Um, there are even greater needs for us to meet as the body of Christ and to show the love of Christ to people during this time of crisis. Okay. Going back to the statement uh, made earlier about, um, you know, leaders are those who keep their poise when all the world around them is losing theirs. Uh, I think faithfulness, what it means to be a Christian, is that in times of crisis— you are willing to continue to do what your calling was before the crisis. Mm. Uh, a crisis is not a time to jettison your Christian uh, responsibilities and Christian opportunities. Uh, we, of all people, ought to be uh, fearless in the face of death. Uh, mm. We have a Savior who faced death and overcame it. And throughout the centuries, this has been the um, you know the dividing line, if you will, between those who uh, have a living faith and those who have a convenient faith. Um, the, uh, that, that death has no fear for those who recognize that um, my life is not my own, it, is, it belongs to my Savior. Now, that's, that sounds harsh. That sounds uh, like, you know, we shouldn't take extreme measures to um, preserve our life, and it's very understandable. But uh, I think Christians, at least throughout history, have had uh, many examples of people who are willing to hold their life lightly in their hands and says, this, this life is not my own. Uh, I'm willing to give it up in the, uh, in the cause of Christ. And being able to faithfully continue in, what does Paul say? A lot of things are going to pass away. As for knowledge, it will pass away. As for tongues... They will pass away, but these three remain, faith and hope and love. The greatest of these is love, and a crisis doesn't change any of that. It just makes it way more conspicuous when people are willing to follow in a life of faith, being tr trusting that God is going to care for me in the midst of whatever circumstance I'm in, even if it means my death. Hope, our hope is in the resurrection of Christ, whether we're in a crisis or not. Our hope is in Christ's resurrection, and whether we're in a crisis or not, can we act with love and not selfishness? Uh, I know that's, that's easy to say, really hard to hear, but I think that's what 
that's what uh, the example of Jesus and the uh, and the faithful disciples is all about. Yeah, it, that's that's probably one of the real sticking points for lots and lots of believers uh, who have, in various ways, been conditioned to believe that um, that that hope, the hope we're given, is really a hope that things won't get any worse or mm-hmm. things won't get as bad for us as they might for somebody else or that they they won't get as bad as they could get but you know when you look back at the example and the stats you cited from the the black plague uh, got worse for christians than it did right. for others because they put themselves and those in faithful harm's way. priests and nuns and friars uh did not have uh, did not have unusually high percentages of survival in fact it was the it was the word they were putting themselves at risk and uh, they died but their hope was not in an extended life their hope was in a resurrection yeah mm-hmm. so so if we don't have guarantees that things won't get worse because m- maybe they will i mean we, we just don't know but if we don't have that kind of guarantee then how does that kind of dial in the type of hope that is supposed to undergird our lives yeah, this is a great question. Uh, you know, and as we explore in the book, uh, some of the later chapters, it's, it's just that um, the last chapter is God remains good, you know, and that that what so what we're experiencing is normal and that um, God is in this. And as Marshall said, I mean, our hope is not in we just have to change our focus. It's a reframing of our entire perspective from from only earthly to to kingdom, the now and the not yet, you know, and so. What do we do kingdom-wise here while we're waiting for that, knowing that um, our hope is not not just in um, relief of pain here on earth? Well, how do we do that and we try to do that, but realize that it's not till the full flourishing of the kingdom that that that's, those things will be eradicated? Yeah. Let's take this back to God's uh, challenge or charge to his people in Jeremiah 29. Settle in, build homes. Work for the work for the good of the city. Uh, how does that kind of motif, do you think, um, help us live with a just a, a settledness or a? How does it help us be present? Well, that's you know uh, yeah, that's but, the word I was going to say. I think, it, yeah, I think expand on that. Uh, yeah, I just think presence is the key, and and you know not just the pandemic, but just the upheaval. You know, the book talking about political and protests and all that kind of thing. I think presence is going to become so continuing to become so much more important and powerful. Um, and Catherine McNeil, in her chapter, she talks about, you know, he has shown you what is good, and and it's that. It's just to walk humbly, to act justly, to love mercy, and that's lived out in our presence, in our, uh, you know, I think it's, I think COVID in many ways shrunk our world. Um, you know, it's like we couldn't travel. So in one way, physically, it, it made our world smaller. But uh, and we, you know, we couldn't see family and a lot of different, you know, go to work as regularly. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because I think we were overlooking the needs that the and the relationships and the opportunities that were right in front of us to just be present instead of trying to accomplish or to conquer or to, you know, we, we lost power in one sense as far as bigger picture. But I think we, we gained that opportunity for presence. So I think presence is just such a key word, like you said. Mm. Somebody just recently gave me the phrase, and I don't know if this came from ultimately from one of you, but realistic gratitude. Mm, that's a great what, word. What, yeah. is, what does it mean to live in times of crisis with realistic gratitude? Is that, 
Is that plausible <laughs> and, and not just a bunch of words? I remember a number of years ago when, uh, well, it was about 10 years ago now, I went in, uh, uh, I was feeling a little um, breathless, and I just couldn't, uh, couldn't catch my breath. And went in, the doctor said, oh, we need to do an angiogram. Hmm. And, uh, and so went in for the angiogram, and uh, you know, when I woke up after coming out of anesthesia, you know, the doctor was there, I said, uh, well, how'd it go? And he said, well, um, we had a little irregularity. I said, um, irregularity? Uh, how did you treat the irregularity? He said, oh, we had to get the paddles out. I said, the paddles? <laughs> oh. and, uh, yeah, well, your first clue should have been when, when he, his opening line was well. Oh, you're well. right. right. When, well. Yeah, that, that's always the word that in. Oh, <laughs> yeah. the worst things you want to hear from a physician, Ooh. right? Yeah. How about said, that? Huh. I yeah. said, so, um, so uh, you know, my heart stopped. And he said, well, uh, it was a condition incompatible with life. I said, where do they teach oh, you my. guys to talk? <laughs> oh, my. Um, no, he said, no, it was a, it was an, a, a fibrillation. And, uh, you know, it, it, you, you could not have survived it if it continued long. So we had to zap you with the paddles. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I had this, you know, one of these moments that so I came that close to, uh, you know, to leaving this world. And, uh, you know, that's sort of a sobering, sober, sort of a sobering yeah. thing. It, talk about uh-huh. realistic gratitude. It yeah. was a, I'm grateful I'm here, but realistically, I could have been gone very quickly. So uh, that was on a Thursday. The Sunday I was in church, and the pastor's text was, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wow. And I thought, oh. boom, uh, what, are the, what are the chances? But it, it made me think of exactly, of exactly that, that uh, what does it mean to gain a heart of wisdom? It's, you know, teaching, uh, counting our days is not a morbid you know, one of these days I'm going to die and how many, I have one fewer day now than I did yesterday. You know, it's, it's not that, but it is, I think, recognize that each day is an opportunity for realistic gratitude. God has placed us here uh, for a reason for us to exercise faith and hope and love one more time, one more day. And uh, if this day is the last day that I have that opportunity, well, that's that's in God's hands. And I think wisdom is recognizing I'm I'm willing to do what God has given me the capability of doing for as long as God chooses to let me do it and beyond that I'm in his presence doing his bidding in another world yeah and, it, and it's that note of presence again that the mm-hmm. Lord qualitatively the Lord is fully present to us in the moment however many of those moments quantitatively we get yeah well you know I love that phrase realistic gratitude I think the other another key to that is what reality are you getting your realistic from, you know, so the reality, if we're just focusing on the reality of our temporal world, uh, I think it's less prone to gratitude because we're seeing the hardness of life. But if, if the realistic gratitude, the realistic is a perspective, not just under the sun, but beyond and to eternity, then, oh, okay, this is not, not the extent of it, you know? And so I think that's, so depends on where your real, what reality you're focusing on. I think. So part of numbering your days is recognizing that they are endless in the presence of God. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. a good word. Angie, what are some of the other uh, major con- contributions from other chapters in the book? Other authors? Yeah, uh, let's see. So we've talked about uh, we have a sociologist from Wheaton starts by saying what is crisis and what does it do to individuals and to society. Um, uh, and then we, uh, you know, Marshall has his chapter on uh, church history. We have a pastor, Lee Eklov. Uh, all the voices we wanted people, this is a discipleship book. I just want to kind of put that in there, that that working with NavPress, it wasn't just a four views or how do we think. It was, it was like, how do we 
respond as followers of Christ, you know, and so that's kind of the focus. Um, so uh, we have a chapter of, of Pastor Lee Eklov saying, how did Jesus prepare us for this? You know, we talked about Sean Gladding's chapter about looking at the people of Israel and the exile. How did they respond to this crisis? Um, and then we start turning the corner to chapters about kind of what is this? Okay, so given all that, what does that mean for us in this time, in this cultural missional moment. And uh, so Joanne Lyon talks about from her experience working uh, with um, the Wesleyan Church in Rwanda and the importance of lament and actually leads us through a time of like, it's okay to recognize the grieving and that actually puts us in touch with the suffering of our brothers and sisters around the world. Um, a, a friend Kubom Lee from Philadelphia, uh, Korean American, and, and he talks about rebuilding a church in the ruins. What is, you know, so it's upended all of our ways of life, including how we do church. He explores that. And then the last two, like I've talked about, chapters are going, well, God's shown us what is good and, uh, and God remains good. So God is always at work. He never wastes anything. I think that's, I think the ending is a, you know, we try to, is, is a hopeful trajectory. Like we said, like a, a reality of the now and the not yet. Yeah, yeah. So there's really something in this for lots of different readers and lots of different uses. Is this uh, something that could be used maybe as a, a group discussion Yeah, absolutely. Tool? That's a great point and question. There's a, at the back of the book, there's some discussion questions for each of the chapters. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's, it's meant to be, there's not going to be a companion kind of study, but those are built in to okay, the book. Yeah. Okay. Well, a great conversation and a great work. I'm so glad y'all put this together. Again, it's entitled, When the Universe Cracks living as God's people in times of crisis, just put out by Nav Press, edited general editor by Angie Ward. So good work on this and congratulations. And thanks for a great conversation, a sobering one in some ways, but uh, a realistically hopeful, grateful conversation mm -hmm. that should uh, give all of us as God's people some, some real solid anchor points uh, where we can uh, not turn a blind eye to what's going on in the world, but n neither do we have to be or should we be um, dominated by that and mm -hmm. preoccupied with that. Yeah, shouldn't be paralyzed by fear when uh, faith is the antidote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Dr. Marshall Shelley, Dr. Angie Ward, thanks. Thanks again for being with us on Engage 360. Thank you. And want to thank all of you for spending a little bit of time with us and for your interest in not only Engage 360, but in Denver Seminary. We hope that you'll periodically visit our website, which, by the way, we have a brand new website uh, just launched. So if you go to that same address, denverseminary.edu, love for you to visit that because we've always got good resources there, whether you're a student here or not. But if you if you are or are thinking about being a student or you know somebody who is thinking about being a student or you know somebody who ought to be thinking about being a student, <laughs> maybe want I you think to, that covers everybody. I, I'm going to try to yeah, cover everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'd love to interact with you through that. So feel free to uh, email us here at podcast at denverseminary.edu if you have any feedback for us or questions or want to interact further about this topic or uh, any of the topics we tackle with other guests. Uh, remember also that we have full transcripts available for each of our episodes. Just go to our uh, website and to the podcast link in the website. You'll find all of our episodes there with a link or a, a tab or a, 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 a clickable something or other where, where you can download a full transcript of the episodes. Friends, we hope to talk to you again soon. May the Lord be with you and give you a lot of hope and a lot of realistic gratitude. Take care.